Pop Culture Affidavit presents 80 Years of DC Comics, Part 7, Funny Animals! All the Hello and welcome to the seventh part of the podcast miniseries, 80 Years of DC Comics, presented by Pop Culture Affidavit, which is part of the Two True Freaks network of podcasts. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and the purpose of these 12 episodes is to showcase comic books and comic book genres that DC Comics has produced in its 80-year history, but are not as recognizable or celebrated as their superheroes, or are not stories that usually end up on some sort of top 10 list. Last time around, I took a look at crime drama featuring the Jerry Conway-penned Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, drawn miniseries Cinder and Ash. This time around, I'm changing gears in a completely different direction, beginning a kind of a three-part series within a series of silliness and celebrity. This time, it's a genre that goes really, really far back to the very origins of DC Comics itself, and that is the funny animals genre. I have a special guest along with me. I sat down with my son, Brett, and we read the stories that were in a couple of the comic books that we had in front of us, and uh, I'm going to talk about those. I'm going to talk about the funny animal genre as and its history in comic books right after this. Superman. Captain Marvel. Batman. It is 1985. Robin of Earth 2. Sergeant Rock. The Legion of Superheroes. This is the most eagerly awaited comic book event in 50 years. Tommy Tomorrow. Jonah Hex. Commandy. It will one day be called the greatest comic book event of all time. Swamp Thing. Wonder Woman. The New Teen Titans. The Haunted Tank. Infinity Incorporated. Worlds will live. Green Arrow. Worlds will die. Supergirl. The Flash. And that is only the beginning. The Justice League of America. The All-Star Squadron. The Huntress. Ariane. The Metal Man. Firestorm. The Nuclear Man. The Outsiders. Green Lantern. The Blue Beetle. The Crime Syndicate. Warlord. The Guardians of the Universe. Tales of the Justice Society of America proudly presents... And many, many more. Crisis on Infinite Earths. The DC Universe will never be the same. Coming January only at twotruefreaks.com. And we're back. So, as I mentioned, uh, funny animals or stories featuring animals seem to go as far back as the very first comic that DC Comics ever published back in 1935. 
in my usual crack research, which basically amounts to me looking at Mike's Amazing World or flipping through the Les Daniels DC Comics 60 Years of the World's Favorite Comic Book Heroes book that I have my bookshelf over here, I discovered that New Fun Comics number 1, which is the very first DC comic published in 1935, did feature a comic strip featuring Oswald the Rabbit. And Oswald the Rabbit, for those of you who are uh, who are familiar with the character, was a character created by Walt Disney prior to his own more famous character, Mickey Mouse. Now, by the time according and this is this is a very quick look based on a very quick look at Wikipedia, by the time Oswald made his comics debut in 1935, Disney had not been involved with Oswald the Rabbit. Walter Lance, who I think is probably most known for Woody Woodpecker, had taken over uh, the the character, changed his look a little bit, and and was uh, doing cartoons and, and publishing. Uh, in this case, uh, putting together, helping put together the comic adventures. Disney would eventually get that character back, all the way in the late 2000s as part of the deal that sent Al Michaels from ABC, which Disney owns, to NBC so that NBC could have Al Michaels and John Madden for Sunday Night Football after uh, Michaels' long tenure as as an ABC sportscaster uh, for shows such as Monday Night Football and, and most notably the Olympics. So... A little bit of trivia there, but the funny animals genre, as it's known, and, and what we're going to take a look at today, really comes into light in the uh, post-World War II era. And there's a number of, fee- uh, of of contributing factors to that. One of them is that there was a cooling off of superhero popularity after the Second World War. And then as we get, of course, as we get into the 50s, we have Frederick Wortham and the uh, and the Senate Committee, and the seduction of the innocent, and the, and the establishment of the Comics Code. And Funny Animals, to my knowledge, did not really get hit very hard by the pressure that the Comics Code Authority would put on the uh, on the comic book companies, probably because they were stories like truly written for children, featuring silly animals do- doing silly things. According to Les Daniels, the, the uh, in 1944, Funny Stuff was the really the first funny animal genre comic that DC published that was, uh, you know, that was all funny animals. And, and that featured a story called the three Mouseketeers, as well as the Dodo and the frog, which uh, became its own comic book. You also had Nutsy squirrel, Peter pork chops, very kind of anthropomorphic type of characters that were getting into all crazy, crazy stuff. And the this, the thing about these these titles uh, is that they were anthology books of the time, so to speak, that the, the animal adventures would not go beyond like six or seven or eight pages as opposed to, you know, full-length stories and multi-issue story arcs and things like that. So there was more than, there was more like a comic ver- book version of the skits that you would see on, say, uh, Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies, uh, Woody Woodpecker cartoons, Tom and Jerry cartoons. If if you ever watched those as a kid, and I watched a lot of those as a kid because they were rerun endlessly on the local syndicated channels in the mornings before school, they were short films, uh, not not full-length episodes. So that's kind of what they were recreating here. Um, and uh, the pair we're going to look at and that Brett and I looked at 
which was found in the greatest 1950s stories ever told, which has been an invaluable resource for this entire miniseries. Um, and I know I keep going back to that well, but hey, I have it in front of me, so it's free. There is a Fox and the Crow story there. The story we looked at, it has no, I don't think it has creator credits attached to it, uh, which is the case for quite a number of these types of stories. I found that with uh, with the stuff that I'm doing for my next episode as well does not have uh, a lot of creative creative credits attached to it either. But the story that Brett and I looked at is The Fox and the Crow, and the, the title of it is $300. It was in The Fox and the Crow number 14 from February of 1954. The greatest 1950 stories ever told credits Rick Taylor as the colorist, but I think he was the person who retouched it for the trade paperback. Because if you go through this greatest stories ever told from the uh, late 80s and early 1990s, you see a lot of colors credit for the old stories credited to Adrian Roy or Anthony Tolan, people who were colorists at the time. So I think they were brought in to touch up the masters because coloring techniques back in the first half of the comics century from 35 to to now, we're almost at the century mark in the first 40 years or so, we're not particularly great. Before I play Brett and I reading the, the story, Brett reads this story, here is what Daniels has to say about the fox and the crow, which was really their most popular or successful funny animal bit. The most brilliant beast in DC's menagerie, the pair who eventually achieved the status halfway between cult and classic, were the fox and the crow. They were also among the few actually based on animated cartoons. By the time DC became interested in animal antics, many of the best characters, including the products of Walt Disney, Walter Lance, and Warner Brothers, had been snapped up by Dell Publishing. When DC's executive editor, Whitney Ellsworth, turned to Hollywood for ideas, he naturally consulted Columbia Pictures, which was adapting DC's heroes for big screen serials. However, Columbia's animation department was in disarray, with management being replaced almost every year. In 1941, the production supervisor was Frank Tashlin, a talented veteran of Disney and Warner Brothers who wrote and directed a Columbia cartoon called The Fox and the, and the Grapes. A succession of sight gags that helped inspire a later Roadrunner films, it inaugurated the Fox and the Crow series in which a fast-talking, cigar-chomping crow tried to swindle the naive, good-natured fox. These cartoons became the basis for DC stories, which began in real screen comics in 1945 and continued in The Fox and the Crow from 1951 to 1968. The driving force behind Crawford Crow and Fauntleroy Fox was James F. Davis, a West Coast animator who managed the comic book studio producing the feature and assumed the artwork chores in 1948. His drawings had vigor and personality, and they were matched by ingenious and unpredictable scripts from Hubert Carp and Cecil Beard. There was real if ridiculous suspense in these stories in which apparently the apparently outwitted Fox would occasionally triumph, sometimes through his own innocence, sometimes in a burst of indignation. The variations on the simple theme seemed all but infinite as the series racked up a run of 23 hilarious years. On the page next to this, there is a part of a comic, and Daniels credits Hubert Carp and James F. Davis, who he says drew the character for 20 years. I'm going to assume that's our creative team for this story. So here's me and Brett hanging around reading The Fox and the Crow, number 14 story, $300. <clears throat> okay, how come? I never spend a dime more than I ever do. There's something wrong here. Well, I'll find out what it is. I'll get everything single bill and amortize it. 
itemize it. What's that? That's when you take a look at everything you spent and look at it like item by item, like bit by bit, piece by piece. Oh, let's see. see. 550 light bill, $9 for cigars. Why does he say, why does he smoke? Food 25, food 90, gas bill 3, mumble mumble. Hey, now I get it. I not only paid my own bills, but I paid that crow's bills too. Well, he's paying me back right now. Oh, he's gonna go over and talk to the crow. Bam, 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 bam. Hiya, Foxy. You want something? Yes, I want $150. Now that's a coincidence. I want to hunt. 150 bucks too. What's a coincidence? You got a hundred and fifty cartwheels on your foxy? Well, er, I don't know, but I'll take a look. What's the matter with me? Even if I had a hundred and fifty dollars, I wouldn't give it to you. How about even a hundred? And then, 50, 10, dime? No, no, no. How much then? Is the fox's name Den? No, he's saying then, but he's just saying it like Den. Oh, nothing. What's a dime in their money? Ten cents. You know what a dime is. I meant in their money. No, their money's our money. Oh, in that case, there's no use carrying on this conversation any longer. Is there okay? Okay, then goodbye. Slam. Ha! I guess I showed him. I kept him from getting one single cent from me. Oh, that no good crow celebrity changed the subject on me to make me forget. Oh, they came after money he owes me for paying his bills. Back, huh? Yes, I'm back. Well, I'm glad you decided to give me the hundred fifty rocks. I didn't come back to give you anything. I came to collect the hundred fifty dollars you borrowed from me to pay your bills last month. I didn't borrow any money from you. Oh no! Look at this heating bill for five dollars. You came to buy house and borrowed the money to pay it. I did not. That's not the way it happened at all, and I can prove it. Go back to your house and I'll come over and show you exactly how it happened. Alright, I will. Let's see, where's this month's hidden bill? Ah, here it is. Okay, Foxy, I came running in like that with me hidden bill, didn't I? Why does he have a cigarette in his mouth? No, that's, they used to show him he's smoking a cigar. Why do they smoke cigarettes? I don't know. Maybe because at the time it, this was, people didn't know it was bad? I guess so. That's right. Then I said, Foxy, will you give me five bucks to pay me heat and bill till shut off me heat? And I said, no. Then I said, Foxy, it ain't for me. It's for me. Pull Poor old freezing grandma. Won't she give me five bucks for me poor old freezing grandmother? And I retorted, I'm sorry, but I already have a grandma. 
that is the most half-hearted remark anybody ever made. I said, I ain't selling her. I just want to keep her warm. Oh, yeah, surely, then I said. I don't believe you even have a grandmother. And I said, come use me, me, or grandma. Wait here while I see if old Granny's in the condition to see you. Yes, that's what you said. I said, okay, there, now get a couple of old drawing, a couple of other things. Mm-hmm. All set. Plop. Okay, come in and meet me, Grandmother Foxy. Exactly. This is the way it was, ain't it? Remember, I said, Grandma, meet Foxy. Right. And I saw immediately that she was freezing to death. Look at her, she's practically a solid cake of ice. She has a little, I think. You brute, do something. Put her feet in a pan of hot water and have her motor. I mean, there's nothing I can do. They shut off me and I haven't got five bucks to pay the bill. Well, here's five dollars. Pay it. And it's a gift. Pay the bill. I can't stand to see the old lady suffer. Okay, no fuck. See, I can't set charity. And it's a gift. Pay the bill and I can't see the lady suffer. Okay. Well, that's the way it happened, Foxy. You just give me that dough for that bill. I didn't borrow it. Yes, that's so. You're right. Wait, but how about the $20 you borrowed for coffee? If you recall, you said Grandma needed hot coffee. Th- that's right, too. Say Okay, so what did you do? I gave you $20, like so. Then you said you needed a heating pad, right? Yes. And I gave you another 25 like that, didn't I? Yep. But then I said Grandma needed a trip right down south, right? Right, and you said it would cost $150. Exactly, but I didn't have it, so... I insisted on paying her way like this. Yep, it all checks. So just what did you come over here in the voice place, Foxy? So to collect $150 you owe me. Okay, here it is. I had this girl over. He paid off like a little Trojan. He's real honest. And sincere, I feel like a hero for making such a big thing out of nothing. It's amazing what a hunk of ice can do. Paid Foxy back the dough, nailed him, and made 50 bucks besides. Dear here, Grandma, dry up. You are spotting me, rug in me, tray, chair. He just got a block of ice mm, from yeah, the freezer. Is that silly? I'm gonna get some water. All right. Um, this. <laughs> what's funny is that there. I see the comedy in, in this. Uh, this is my review. Brett thought it was just silly and then wanted to go on and read another comic. It's kind of hard to get critical analysis out of a seven-year-old sometimes, um, especially when he just wanted to sit there and read comics with me. We read some other ones. We read some Adventure Time and Spider-Man and stuff like that. Um, uh, that afternoon, but. 
I see where people see the comedy. It's a typical, like, you know, here's this guy, here's the crow's going to come out with the fox, and it's silly. And I will say it's drawn really well. It it has the cartoony feel. Nothing looks really weird or stiff or anything. I've read some of the old Uncle Scrooge comics here and there that I've picked up as part of a compilation or on free comic book day or whatever, or just because, I don't know, Brett wanted to read it. This approaches that on some level. This is something I'll say about the comic I'm going to talk about later, is that it's really, really hard to get in the mindset of sight gags on a panel-to-panel page, whereas in the animation of something, it's really, really easy. And I think it's, I don't know, there's something about it that it's, the silliness comes across in animation way better than it does in the still and the sequential art. But this is definitely of its time, and... This is, like I told him, this is my parents' generation. My parents would have been, uh, my mother would have been around Brett's age in 1954, and my dad would have been about nine years old. So whether or not they would have picked up the Fox and the Crow comics is something that I have no idea, but definitely definitely something that was available to them. Um, When I was a kid... This is something that was completely foreign to me. I was a kid in the early 1980s. And so if I was buying comic books, I was going... The only thing available were superheroes or action things. So uh, before I started collecting comics in around 1990... And if you're counting the the brief period where I read G.I. Joe and Transformers on a, on a regular basis in about 1987... I would go... When, I, when, we, were at the, when we were at the stationery store... Or when the comic store opened up and, and I was allowed to get a comic, it would be Superman or Batman or Spider-Man. Uh, Superboy, I remember buying one time. I think I had at least one Brave and the Bold issue. Uh, Star Wars, every once in a while, if it looked like it was something really cool. Uh, Transformers, G.I. Joe. And then later on, uh, the Thundercats or Robotech even, uh, the Comico series. So it was always action-oriented. It was always superhero-oriented. And funny comedy comics were not widely available. Uh, I think Gold Key or Whitman was still publishing some Looney Tunes stuff. There was some Disney stuff out there. There was certainly Archie out there. But that wasn't really, really on my radar. DC, yeah, did kind of abandon the genre in the late 1960s and into the 1970s is something that we saw with other genres. Uh, We saw this with romance comics back when Stella and I looked at Secret Hearts. Uh, The romance genre kind of held on for a couple more years after that, but it was dead by the mid-70s and really never came back. Westerns hung around for a little while longer. Horror certainly hung around for a little while longer, as did war comics, and those are genres that I'm going to take a look at in, in future episodes. But funny animals were kind of, no pun intended, put out to pasture. Uh, They kind of made a comeback in the mid-1980s with Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew, which was kind of a mishmash of funny animals and superheroes. I do not personally own any Captain Carrot comics, uh, but I know that Scott Shaw was instrumental in creating it and... What I do have, and what I'm just going to take a very brief look at today, is the preview, the special Captain Carrot preview that appeared in the New Teen Titans number 16, which was cover dated February of 1982. 
and this was one of those this is what DC I, I used to love it when DC used to do this they would just kind of drop it in there so you'd have a bigger comic but it would be a say it'd be a free preview and of course the the most famous one of these is probably from DC Comics presents number 26 which featured the new Teen Titans by Wolfman and Paris so here you've got Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew in a story called This Bunny Unbound. And the cover page for it says, Not just another funny animal comic. And we have on the left-hand side a roll call of Captain Carrot, Pig Iron, Yankee Poodle, Rubber Duck, Alley Cat Abra, and Fastback. Only Captain Carrot has a real appearance in this preview. Uh, the others make appearances on television screens toward the end of the story. But the other character that's involved here, aside from Captain Carrot, is Superman. And on the cover, Superman and Captain Carrot are both looking at each other. And there's some sort of weird cosmic-looking barrier. And Superman's smashing. And he says, I must smash through this barrier or the Earth is doomed. And Captain Carrot is flying above an Earth that's got uh, the United Species of America written on where America is. And he's saying, leap and lettuce, that horrible red and blue monster. It's got for five fingers. So we open in on Metropolis and our narration says, by now we're all used to these chatty inane personality news shows where everybody competes at trying to be a witless eyewitness. But today at WGBS TV, despite visual evidence to the contrary, there's no such sweetness in light, but only anchorman Clark Kent saying, only an hour ago, as shown here, the president of Mammoth Motor, Mammoth Motor Company suddenly leapt, suddenly leapt over his podium to begin behaving like an ape or monkey, complete with chattering screeches. And basically, that's happening all over the city. People are acting like monkeys because for, for some unknown reason, Clark changes into Superman to try to find out. And as he's flying around Metropolis and he using his um, various supervisions, infrared vision, x-ray vision, whatever, he sees an energy barrier that is around the Earth. It's as impossible as it seems it originated from the planet Pluto, the outermost world of this planet's solar system. He starts flying there and he hits the uh, energy barrier. And as he hits the energy barrier, he sees a giant meteor coming for Earth. He grabs onto it, goes right into the energy barrier and everything explodes around him he's dazed and he starts to fall back to earth which the earth is marked with that united species of america so we know it's not our earth although he doesn't know that he's so disoriented and he sees one two three four five different meteor chunks and he chucks them out of his way and flies into what he thinks is the daily planet building changes back into clark kent and as he goes to sit down at his desk a little voice says, Hey, watch it, Mac. He's like, Who said it? I did, you overgrown gorilla. And there is a talking rabbit wearing a yellow plaid shirt, green tie, black vest, and glasses yelling at him. And his name is Roger Rabbit. No relation to the one we come to know in the movie. And he is ticked off that, well, Clark sat on him and obviously ruined what, what he was working on as Roger Rabbit is a comic book artist and it looks like he illustrates Super Squirrel and Batmouse and the just a lot of animals. Roger is a little scared of him. He thinks that Clark's some sort of huge monster and then Clark looks out of, of the building which is the headquarters of Wombat Communication and he says... Somehow striking that space barrier hurled me into an alternate Earth, one where all the inhabitants looked like funny animals out of a Saturday morning cartoon. Roger's like, uh, funny animals, hey, you don't show me much either, big boy. If you're not a monster, then who or what are you? 
So Clark tries to explain to him about Superman and, and because he's like, you're a comic book artist, so you might know. And as, as Superman, as Clark explaining that, Roger grabs a carrot out of his window that is happens to be irradiated and he starts eating it. Clark changes into Superman and tells him, you know, hey, I'm a superhero. And Roger explains that, well, along Bark Avenue this morning, he saw a light zap some guy out of the sky and the and the guy who was a dog walking on his way to work started acting like, well, a dog would on earth chasing after a car. A throwback to his prehistoric canine ancestors. And well, Superman says, yeah, this this does sound familiar. And But all of a sudden he realizes that Roger's eating this glowing carrot and he smacks it out of his hand. Roger is kind of annoyed at the fact that uh, Superman smacked this out of his hands. And Superman apologizes and Roger says, sorry, doesn't pay any doctor bills, Pinky. And he just gets madder and madder and madder. And he punches Superman through three or four walls. He's gaining super strength, and with and and with gaining super strength, he realizes that he might have powers. So what he does is he grabs a Halloween costume he had hanging in his office, and decides to become Captain Carrots. He and Superman fly to the United Nations building, or the United Nature building, where they were holding a special session to figure out why all these animals are reverting to the savage prehistoric beasts from which they came. When they get there, the UN is fighting with one another, and Superman and Captain Carrot do their best to contain everybody. They manage to do so by just simply knocking every every other animal out, and as they're trying to figure out, A what's going on, B, whether or not these Captain Carrot powers are permanent, they see the TV monitors, and this is what the newscaster says. And in five locations around the USA, strange new heroes with superpowers have suddenly appeared. It's just out of nowhere. <laughs> and he says, huh? Are they talking about me? Correction, six. Make that six superheroes with superpowers. In the Midwest, there's a lightning swift turtle called Fastback. In Pigsburg, a poor sign powerhouse known as Pig Iron. In New Orleans, a slinky sorceress named Alley Cat Abra. While in Follywood, newshounds have witnessed the animal magnetism of the new Yankee Poodle. And in nearby Bel Airdale, there's Malleable Mallard who calls himself Rubber Duck. Superman says, Great Krypton, those are precisely the places where I saw the other five glowing meteorite fragments headed from outer space. Captain Carrot realizes that those five guys were changed just as he was, and meanwhile, every hour, there's a hundred more people reverting back to beasts. Captain Carrot wants to know where the heck this is, this all came from, and Superman says, on another world, that's where, before I had wound up here, I had already tracked the source of the devolution race to the planet Pluto, so that's where I'm heading right now. The fate of two worlds may be at my stake. Captain Carrot yells, hey, Pinky, not so fast, you're not going anywhere without Captain Carrot. And the story is going to be continued in Captain Carrot's Amazing Zoo Crew number one, featuring the titanic talents of Roy Thomas Ryder and Scott Shaw Penciler, co-creators with Jerry Conway, aided, abetted, and anesthetized by the superlative skills of Bob Smith Inker and Ross Andrew Penciler of the Superman sequence. Learn why the funny animal superheroes aren't just for breakfast anymore, and meet the rest of the ever-zestful zoo crew in the Pluto Syndrome, on sale December 24th. This was pretty fun. I may track down the Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew showcase based on this. I could totally tell that they were drawing Superman in a different style than the rest of 
the Zucker than Captain Carrot. And it wasn't until I, I got to the end where I saw that, oh, Ross Andrew drew all the Superman pages that I realized that, oh, okay, that's that's why. Um, it's kind of like if you look at the old, like, Forever People, uh, the first issue of Forever People or something, the one that's in the greatest Superman stories ever told, and you can tell that uh, Kurt Swan was drawing over Jack Kirby's pencils or whatever just to get a house style feel for it. Um, I don't know how what Superman would have looked like if Scott Shaw had drawn uh, Superman. So I guess that kind of, and I guess it kind of lends itself nicely to the weird difference between the two worlds of the funny animals and the humans in the DC universe and earth one. Um, Captain Carrot and his mini Zucker did not make an appearance in crisis on infinite earths, even though they technically are part of the mainstream DCU. I don't know if we can assume that they were wiped off the face of the multiverse or if they were all died or whatever in, in the crisis. I don't know much about the history of the publication. This is pretty much the only story I've read as well as whatever popped up in the teen Titans books during final crisis in the late, uh, in the mid two thousands, but this was enjoyable. This is fun. Shaw obviously and and Thomas obviously having a lot of fun with the idea of bringing back a funny animal comic and having it be kind of a silly, silly superhero comic, yet not making it too almost have like having a little bit of reference for the subject matter. You know, not not being like, oh, aren't all these goofy, like, or, or not going the route of taking something that was originally a goofy concept and making it dark and edgy because you have to appeal to a certain audience. Clearly, they knew that a lot of their audience was kids or that they just wanted to create a fun comic, and, and they did that here. So um, this has inspired me to see if I can track down and check out something else of, of Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew. I've got one more comic for you coming up, and that'll be DC's currently longest-running series, and I'll get to it after the break. Are you a geek looking for love? Do you long to find discussion on that special comic, TV episode, movie, or toy that's just right for you? Then why not try Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast? Chris and Cindy Franklin can match you with that certain something to satisfy your genre-related longings, no matter the subject. Superheroes. But Robin's like, that was really nice of you, Batman. He's like, I had the room loaded with kryptonite. I can turn it on at any moment. <laughs> and here's the thing. It's, you're talking about, now think about this. It's an apartment building owned by Batman. Do you not think that Batman doesn't have their place booked? sci-fi. I don't know, you talk about being a sex symbol and stuff like that. I mean, I know a lot of girls thought, you know, William Shatner was it, but I had a, the biggest crush on George Takai. I, 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 I did. I thought, you know. Sorry about that. Horror. And then when we see the Wolfman for the first time, he's in I don't know, we don't A long sleeve shirt, shirt and a dark pair of pants. Pants with a belt. With a with belt, that's right. <laughs> and his shirt's buttoned up all the way, too. Yeah, yeah. And his so, arms. So after he changes into this ferocious beast who can't talk and doesn't seem to be able to think beyond just attacking things. He, he has lots of dexterity. He went through his closet and... I like this outfit better. Action figures. I actually had 
all the figures and all the accessories up to a certain point. I really literally did collect them all, you know. Including Shira. I was gonna get to that, but nah. Chris and Cindy have found their own happiness through discussions like this. I think you could be friends with him. I could be down with this version of the ultra humanoid. You could be friends with the dude who put his brain inside a mutated albino ape. I married you. <laughs> Oh! If you're tired of searching for geek love, then sign up with Supermates for free at supermatescomic.blogspot.com or on iTunes. And we're back. Nowadays, DC actually is publishing a Funny Animals cartoon and has been doing so since 1994. This goes back to the fact that DC, since the late 1970s, it has been owned by Warner Brothers. This particular funny animal book that DC has been publishing continuously since 1994 is Looney Tunes. Now, they didn't start publishing Looney Tunes comic books um, the minute Warner Brothers took over back in the late 70s, mainly because at that time, at least uh, from what I could tell, were a uh, uh, Gold Key had the rights to publish Looney Tunes comics and did really up until the mid-80s. But in 1994, uh, Looney Tunes issue number one came out and is still being published. And the comic book that, that Brett and I took a look at is Looney Tunes issue number 220, which, by the way, makes it one of DC Comics' longest-running books at the moment it actually might be the most the the longest running book because unless there's a vertigo title that's been running since the mid 90s that that i forgot about and i'm pretty sure there isn't because i know constantine got axed swamp thing um is now got moved over to the, the mainstream dcu so i'm pretty sure that looney tunes is your is your main your main your longest running dc comic at the moment uh, this was published. Uh, the cover date on this is October 2014. This is a it's a bi monthly title. Uh, it still retails for 2.99. I think it's still available where DC has newsstand distribution. Uh, the cover on this: Daffy Duck and Porky Pig as Duck Quackahan at the scene of the crime, and uh, that's the main story. Brett and I took a look at all three stories. You have Duck Quackahan in The Rookie. You will have Sylvester and Tweety in the bir A Bird in the Hand. And we have a, a great Roadrunner piece called Bird's Eye View. Now, um, I didn't go over creator credits with Brett, so I'm going to give those to you now. The Rookie, which is the Duck Quackahan comic, the Daffy Duck comic. Uh, story covered by Scott Gross. Pencils by Walter Carzon. Inks by Horatio Adelini, colors by Candace Schinsler-Bell, letters by Saida Timofante, edits by Jessica Chen. The Sylvester and Tweedy, Sam Agro, writer, Mike DiCarlo, artist, David Tang Tangway, colorist, Mike Sellers, letterer, Rachel Gluckstern, editor, and your Roadrunner, Bird's Eye View, Dan Slott. Yes, that Dan Slot, writer, David Alvarez penciled, Mike DiCarlo inks, John Costanza, the great John Costanza letters, digital chameleon colors, Harvey Richards assist, Heidi McDonald edits. 
before before I get to Brett, uh, well, I'm I'm going to be reading it. Brett's going to be uh, Brett's going to Brett's going to be listening and giving some commentary here and there. Um, it is pretty cool to see that uh, Mike DiCarlo has been working for 30 years at least in comics. He was an he's been an inker for most of his career. Uh, he inked George Perez on a number of Teen Titans issues, even though I wasn't too happy about his work with Perez. Uh, but he is probably the when you hear his name, you probably associate it with Jim Aparo in the late 1980s and early 1990s on Batman. He inked A Death in the Family and A Lonely Place of Dying, for instance. John Costanza has been a letterer for, I think, longer than I've been alive. And it really is his lettering for the various DC comics that I've seen over the years that I think... I associate like as the DC house letter style and Dan slot, as we all know, has had a lengthy run on Spider-Man. So here is Brett and I talking about Looney Tunes number What's happening in this All one, right. though? It's called The Rookie. Uh, it looks like somebody crashed the police car into the hotel sign. You're headed up to date, Peppy Le Pew, and tell everybody in the clinic. Was don't. Was he the one who did that, or did he just fart or something? He's a skunk, remember? Yeah, I think he farted and the... No, skunks just give off smells. I don't think skunks fart. You're headed up state, Peppy Le Pew, and tell everybody in the clinic, don't come down to my town, check into a motel, and steal shampoo from the housekeeping cart. But, monsieur, my telva, it is so tangled. Here we go, playing the victim. Save it for the judge. Look what you did to my business. Who's going to clean up this mess? Who's going to pay for all this? Nice, I uh, say, nice work, Quackahan. Good thing Pip Le Pew didn't sneak into a movie, or Quackahan would have blown up Hollywood. Ha 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 ha. Have you got feathers from Ha 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 from like. Yeah, everybody's the, laughing at him. From like the shows. No, the ha 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 is everybody in the office is laughing at him because they think he's silly. Oh, I thought it was the um. You know how in some of the shows with real people, it's like, ha, 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 Oh, like, like an audience? Yeah. No, no, it's not like that. He's duck quackahan at the theme of the crime. Have you got feathers for brains? That skunk might have been a low-down, dirty skunk, but he was our low-down, dirty skunk. He worked for us. We've been trying to catch Yosemite Sam for over a year now. Peppy was our only link to his operation. Without him on the streets, we're going. We're back to square one, and you're back to traffic duty. I love how she looks so scary. Yeah. Man. Here's another surprise, Quackahan. Meet your new partner, Officer Porky Pig. Partner? No, ma'am. That's where I draw the line. Duck Quackahan works alone. Then work alone selling candles at the mall. Look, Duck. He's the top graduate from the academy. Highest scores in all of the exams. Now... At least now, we have someone to call 911 next time you write a parking ticket. All right, rookie. This is your first and only training day. One shot to prove you can handle the job. 
A detective has to eat and drink the details of, the key, of each case 24-7. Ooh, let's thop in there. My mind has been screaming tuna melts all day. Exactly 11.5 minutes later. Burr, pat, pat. I'm so full of bacon, I feel like stuffing myself into a Thanksgiving turkey. Bacon? Yeah. Whoa, 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 wait, wait a mess. I could get change for a 20. Can I get change for a 20? Wait, what did you just say? You better forget all that kid stuff that you learned in the academy. We're on the threets now. You gotta talk like talk like it, comprende? From now it's on... Comprende? Understand. From now on, don't say 20. Say double or deuce or dove. And don't say five. Call it a fin. A sawbuck is a ten. A yard is a hundred. And all your money is your grip. Speaking of grip, eh, I think I left mine in the car. Pay the bill, Rook. Pat, pat. Look at the look Porky Pig's giving us. He didn't leave his money in the car. If we're going to catch Sam, we Because you to... could hear the... Yes. We're going to need to get close to him. Luckily, I know a guy who knows a guy. But 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 Quackahan, the lieutenant threw us off the case. Yosemite Sam is an international mastermind commanding hundredth of henchmen. Do you honestly believe every single one of them has their license, title, registration, car insurance, and smog certificate all current and up to date? Who's that? I don't know. Wise up, Officer Pig. We're here to thrive, serve, and protect. Ow! Look sharp, rookie. This place isn't for cream puffs. Real criminals like Sam don't sit around coffee coffee shops asking for soy mix in their lattes and comparing eyewear. They try to blend in like me. Ew, the duck smells of a cop, don't you agree? Indubitably. Oh, yes. Shall I bite his kneecaps? Oh, yes, do. There's our man. All right, rookie. Watch how... A professional goes to work. Where's Yosemite? Meet me. Where is he? I know you know. Meet me. Bam. And that is how to conduct an investigation. What happened? The guy ran over him. You know, with the motorcycle? Yeah. Little help. I picked up a rumor that Sam and his goons are running a chop shop. You, you mean stealing cars and chomping them to resell the Barts? No, dummy, I'm talking shrimp. They do more chopping at this place than anywhere. Yum. Oh, it's like, uh, it's a restaurant where they, they chop up stuff like, uh, and serve it to you. Like Benihana. Ooh, ah, ooh, the witch. Gracias, senores, gracias. Ooh, uh, who, who's that character? Do you know that character? No, but he looks like Ratatouille. Mm, he's Speedy Gonzalez. Oh, I know. Gracias. I've heard of. Yeah. Gracias, Speedy senor. Gonzalez. Gracias. Save room for my spicy octopus taquitos. Spicy octopus taquitos. Yeah. Mm. Look faster, you varmint. My grandma chopped firewood faster than that with a butter knife. Do you know who that is? Yeah, the um, guy who hunts Bugs Bunny. Yeah, that's uh, Yosemite Sam. Oh, yeah. Yosemite Sam, you've reached the end of your California roll. I'm taking you downtown. You can come quietly, but I hope you don't. You got nothing on me, duck. I'm just here a-surfing and turfing. Ah, ha, ha. He's right, Quackahan. We g got no case. Read the fine print, rookie. I count five goods at this table eating off one plate. The menu clearly states no sharing. You're more than a criminal, Sam. You're a cheapskate, and I find that despicable. You caught me, copper, but you ain't taking me in. I'll blast my way out. 
Oh, look at the cops. Give up, Sam. We've got you surrounded. Come out with your hands up. Dag nabbit, just what? when they bring out the scallops. Who are those? I think those are the, that's the SWAT team. Waitress, can I, can I get mine to go? Is that Porky Pig's dad, or is that Porky Pig? I think that's Porky Pig, because it says one year later. Oh. So, and they're all laughing. Aha, nice, uh, say, nice work, Polk Chop. You found someone driving alone in the carpool lane and blew half the freeway, blew up half the freeway trying to pull her over. Ha, 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 Detective, you caused millions of dollars in damages for a minor moving violation. We got angry store owners hollering on the phone. Mayor's office is chewing my behind. On the record, oh, it's Daffy Duck. On the record, as your station chief and new boss, I'm disappointed in your lack of discretion. But off the record, I stuck behind this desk wishing I was still out there. How'd it feel? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Chief, there's a re- there were. Does he do that all the time? I guess so. Like, tell me, tell me, tell me. Mm-hmm. Chief, there were a hundred reasons why I didn't have to chase the suspect down the sidewalk, driving backwards with all four doors open, and crashed into the aquarium store, sending turtles, blue gravel, and filthy goldfish water pouring into the streets. A hundred reasons, but at the time I couldn't think of a single one. That's all, folks. Oh, so it's going to restart. There's another story. Tweet, tweet. A bird in the hand. Tweet, tweet. Just above you, bird lovers, is the prize bird of our little sanctuary. The rare and beautiful Tweety bird. <laughs> oh, brother, that Tweety bird would make a rare and beautiful sandwich for my lunch. But how can I get it in past those conversation crazy bird nerds? You know that Sylvester? Yeah. And that's Tweety? How'd they make those things? Mm, I think he made a costume. Oh, look, yeah. Hmm, this calls for one of my brilliant disguises. Shortly, see, he made a costume. I know, but they're real ones there. Well, let's read. We'll find out how I got okay. that way. <laughs> Perfect. I'll be dining on Tweety in no time. Look, Ted, isn't that a rare and endangered feline falcon? It is. But what's he doing so far from his natural habitat? I thought I thought a putty tat. Quick, toss this net over him. We'll transport him back to his natural habitat in Ungabora. Uh-oh, Unga where? Soon, suffering succotash, what's a revolting development? Can a pussycat get a bite to eat anymore? Oh dear, this will not end well. Oh, these are actual birds that look like cats, and he was dressed up as one, and they thought that was him. Zoom, splat, flump. Well, er, greetings, fellow feline falcons. What's happening, bird brothers? Chunk, wham, plump. You know, I don't think my disguise fooled them. Ugh, who wants to, who needs to eat a Tweety Bird anyway? Say this moss looks tasty, mighty tasty. I did, I did taw a putty tat. That's, That's all, all, folks. Alright. Now, I love Roadrunner. If you're on a highway, Roadrunner goes beep beep. Just step aside or you might end up in a heap. Roadrunner, roadrunner runs on the road all day. Even the coyote can make him change his ways. Roadrunner, the coyote's after you. Roadrunner, if he catches you, you 
What's he doing? Coyote. Schemus off screenius. What's what's the coyote trying to do? Trying to he's trying to catch the road runner. Yeah, what's he got? He's like a arrow on a giant bow. Yeah. Sprung. Splutch. Clang. Er, and oh, it looks like the the coyote shot himself all the way through the sign in the tree and of course over the cliff. And what's the roadrunner saying? Meet me. Whoosh. All the way over the cliff. Okay, here's a, here's another one. Why don't why doesn't the uh that's the classic. Yeah. Please. Why doesn't the coyote say anything? Then you know they never say anything in the cartoons. Free bird seed. <laughs> What's that? Wrecking ball. Yeah. And it, it comes back. We were singing some pop songs in um in school when we were like driving on the bus mm -hmm. and like right in the middle of one of the songs like one of my bus captains was like making a, a game in like a wrecking ball <laughs> okay right in the middle of one of the songs okay is that what the coyote's trying to do he, i think he missed right foosh clunk uh what do you think happened ouch yeah Ooh. What's that? Um, the train stopper. Oh, so what does he think is going to happen? The the train's coming? Ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. And here comes the coyote. And because he thinks he's going to catch the roadrunner because the roadrunner stopped. And uh-oh. What's that? Uh, he got hit. Mm-hmm. This didn't happen. No, this didn't happen. Meet me. No, it was just, yeah, it was a fake, it was a fake railroad crossing. And of course the train came along. Because that's what happens to Coyote. Uh-oh. What's that? Free bird seed again. Mm-hmm. Always. Bong. Oh, what's he holding? Do you know what that is? Anvil. Yeah, it's an anvil. So what is he going to... He's hanging on a it's string holding an anvil. It's what to forge stuff. Yeah. So, but what what do you think he's going to try to do? Hit the roadrunner with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and what, what... What's that? What's happening there? He's going to sneeze. Mm-hmm. Ah. Uh, choo. Uh. He dropped the anvil. Oh, what happened to the coyote? He went flying. Boinga, 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 boinga. Meet me. Oh. Boinga, 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 boinga. Meet me. Smackety, smackety, smackety. <laughs> he was trying to chase him with springs on and he hit the top of the I love the, the rock. smackety, smackety, smackety. Yeah. All right. Oh, what's this? Meet me. Yet more bird seed. Okay. Instead oh. of, it came ball bearings. Mm. Acme ball bearings. Oh, because they're metal and what you hear a crash and what's that? A plane. So what was he trying to do? Magnet. He was trying to magnet the ball bearings to get the roadrunner and he mag he pulled a plane out of the sky on top of him. 
what's a plane doing in the middle of the desert? Know, flying over it. Oop. Detour. Detour sign. He's disguised as a detour sign. Why would there be a furry detour sign? I don't know. Oh, he came out. What's he going to do? Chainsaw. He's going to chainsaw the, the cliff off, right? Right. I know why the I know why the Roadrunner never gets eaten because of violence. Okay, well, you know, every time the coyote tries to chainsaw the cliff off, you know what happens? What? All the uh, land falls out from under the coyote and the little piece of cliff stays up. <laughs> And what's the Roadrunner sign say? Hey, how do I get down from here? That's all, folks. My my commentary here, my, my review here. Uh, I found this easier to follow than the Fox and the Crow for some reason. Um, maybe because I'm so familiar with the characters. I grew up watching Looney Tunes. I grew up watching Merry Melodies and Looney Tunes in the morning and, and love love old Warner Brothers cartoons. To this day, I love them. They're just so much fun to watch still. And uh, all the artists involved do a good job at rendering what's going on here. Um, they The characters look like they should. Not only that, I appreciate the fact that they are originally drawn so that we're not photoshopping anything. We're not simply freeze-framing various episodes of Looney Tunes, like kind of like they've done with the Ultimate Spider-Man comic book, the one based on the cartoon, where they're basically, it's obvious that it's all screen caps of an episode, where that's really frustrating, because it was like, because before that they had a Marvel Adventures had a Spider-Man comic that was fun to read and everything, but it's, it's just like, I don't know, to me that's lazy, but that's my, you know, unprofessional commentary here. Uh, this, you know, this is drawn, this is original stuff. Um, most of the characters appear... Daffy Duck trying to be Dirty Harry and uh, just being absolutely ridiculous, running into just about every other character. I love, love, love any appearance by Yosemite Sam. Um, and the fact that they bring him in on on sharing his sushi with other people is, is just, of course, classic. Uh, my favorite one in here, honestly, was the Roadrunner one that Dan Slott wrote and, and David Alvarez did. Mainly because the Roadrunner cartoons were my favorite as a kid. Roadrunner cartoons have no dialogue, but and it's all sight gags, and it's all sight gags that are so predictable. Um, my all-time favorite Roadrunner cartoon is the one where the coyote buys a catapult from Acme, and I think he sets up that catapult like four or five times in four or five different ways to help, and and every time he sets it up, he's trying to avoid getting the boulder on him as opposed to the roadrunner and like every single time ends in catastrophe for him and every single time i know something is going to happen like that and i laugh my butt off every single time it's it's my all-time favorite looney tune i mean at second my i think in second place is uh the one where bugs bunny is conducting the opera and he, at one point, he just leaves. He, he's got his hand up, and the guy's holding the note. He takes his hand out of the glove. The glove's still up there. The guy's turning all sorts of colors and patterns. He turns like Madras at one point. And then uh, my wife's all-time favorite is the one with Gossamer, the where Bugs Bunny floats to the Mad Scientist castle. And and uh, there's the, the one point where they get into the 
the the ether vapors and the the mad scientist like come back here rabbit you know and so the two of us have a lot of fun with Looney Tunes and this this Roadrunner comic is really well done because you get the fluidity of the motion and the speed at which the Roadrunner goes and all the sight gags just you can hear it and and in your head and you can almost see it animated even though it's sequential whereas when i my criticism of the fox and the crow was it was hard for me to picture it and i think that's just maybe because of my familiarity with these characters as opposed to the other characters and um i hope the i hope that the reading that that brett and i uh, were doing um didn't get too tedious uh there's not a lot of criticism that I can really have for something like a funny animal comic, mainly because it's a funny animal comic. I don't think it really needs to have a lot of criticism attached to it, but I wanted to give funny animals their due because they are really a long-standing genre of DC's publishing history, probably one of the ones that helped them survive that sort of very an ironic way dark time of the 1950s when uh a lot of their when they didn't really have the that post-war period and the and the and the seduction of the innocent period when there were really weren't superheroes being published for a very long time except for you know superman batman or wonder woman so yeah props to that next time around though i am going to kind of stay in the same like i said this is a little mini series within a within a series because of the way these next three episodes flow together because I'm thinking about Looney Tunes and thinking about comedy. I'm going to be covering some comedy. And if things work out, I'm not only going to have Brett on again to talk about a a comic from the 1950s, but I'm going to also have a special guest on to talk about another comedy comic from the 1960s. And possibly... Uh, if if things work out, we might chat a little bit about that thing that comes out every once in a while that's published by the uh, usual gang of idiots. So come back in a couple of weeks for that. And until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to 80 Years of DC Comics, a podcast miniseries presented by Pop Culture Affidavit and Two True Freaks. All comics talked about in this episode are copyright DC Comics, and since this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes and no money is made, no infringement is intended. You can find show notes and supplemental information on this episode at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Interested in leaving feedback? You can email me at popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com or go to the Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. Thanks for listening and come back next month for another look at the history of DC Comics.